gentlemen, welcome to a brand new edition of Over the Line. We are back again, so glad you're here. A little uh, wacky this week for those of you watching the live stream. It's um, it's a little off this week because we missed Monday, and I, I think I explained this last time, but because we missed Monday's show, we tried to make it up yesterday, so we had a Tuesday show. And now here we are on Wednesday, and hopefully we're on track. Not not good uh, for our first week of this new format, but listen, we're doing everything we can. And we, we can only do what we can do. But we're here, and we're trying to get used to it. And so far, so good. At least it seems to be. I covered a lot of ground uh, last night on last night's show uh, with the Biden administration, what we know about Americans stranded in Afghanistan, as well as a plethora of other things. Um, it's bad. And as you see the title of this episode, Biden and the Biden administration, they continue to dig their own grave. And they're digging deep, a deep, deep hole. It, it, it's it's fascinating because every single day it seems something new is coming up, something that really I, I think explains what we're seeing today. I also see a lot of um, a, a lot of Barack Obama in this administration. Not surprisingly, with Joe Biden being Barack Obama's. Um, Barack Obama's former running mate, former vice president. But you see a lot of similarities. Aiding and abetting terrorists. Making absolutely horrendous foreign policy decisions that put Americans at risk. Uh, keeping the border unsecure, which also puts Americans at risk. As well as uh, many other things. I, I think what it comes down to, and I don't mean to get so philosophical and deep at the beginning of this show... But what it comes down to, and it's something I've explained to you guys time and time again, fear is the tool that those in power use. And this is especially for the Democrats. Fear is their number one tool because fear gets them what they want. Now, what do they want? They want control. They want power. And as long as they can keep the fear in you, they can convince you to allow them to continue to gain that power, those freedoms, and uh, you give them up. I mean, COVID, COVID-19 is a perfect example. Collectively, on the front end of this thing, on the front end of COVID-19, early to mid-2020, nobody knew what was going on. Nobody knew anything, so everybody was scared. It was fear, the fear that a manufactured virus... <laughs> placed into the heart of Americans and people all across the world. And our response to that was, whatever you got to do to keep us safe from this, do it. Whatever you need from us, take it. Shut down our businesses. Keep us in the house for two weeks to slow the spread. Don't let me go visit my grandma. Don't let me go to funerals. Whatever. Whatever we got to do to stay safe from the virus. That's, that's exactly what happened. You know, a lot of us were skeptical from the front end, but it was very unknown. 
It was. It would not be uh, a bad thing for you to admit that you were scared at the beginning of COVID nineteen. Everybody was, and even going back to that, I'm not having a COVID nineteen show tonight or anything. Going back to that, uh, I remember while doing rideshare Uber and Lyft, uh, over and over, I was hearing passengers who had no association with each other continue to bring up, "Oh my." my cousin who's in the army or my my relative or my friend or whatever that's that works in the government or is high up in the the army or whatever they all were kind of saying the same thing which was hey pull all your money out of the bank start stocking up on food something's about to go down everybody was saying that and i couldn't help but think that was that the government on their first leg of instilling fear uh, trying to pass the word down to average citizens to be prepared and don't be shot when they pull the lockdown card on everybody and tell everybody to go inside. I don't know. That's that's a that's a discussion for another day. Welcome to the show. I am always so glad you're here. If you're watching us live on Twitch, I appreciate you, Twitch people, y'all, my OGs. If you're not watching on Twitch and you want to be a part of that. Here's the schedule. Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, 7 o'clock Central Standard Time, 7 p.m. If you want to watch the show on Twitch, you can do it there. Within a couple of weeks, we'll be doing on Twitch, we'll be doing on Facebook, and hopefully we'll be doing on YouTube as well, and we'll just be on all three platforms at the same time. But right now, we're really concentrating on Twitch because we can uh, we can get what's called affiliated, and if P. Diddy was in here, he could kind of explain it. He actually knows better than I do. Um, if you get affiliated on Twitch, from what I understand, it gives you a lot more features to use when you're streaming. So when it comes to uh, uh, people donating money, tipping, if you will, uh, given certain you know, kudos or likes or subscriptions or whatever the case is, uh, you get those features. Once you get to five, what is it, 50 subscribers, it's only 50, and I think we're at 26 on this brand new Twitch channel. So if y'all could, those of y'all listening, live and, and after the fact, y'all get me 24 more people subscribed to this Twitch channel, and I will... Love you long time, if you can do that. I will love you long time. Also, we created today a Linktree account. And Linktree, what Linktree is, and I'll type it in the chat for those of you that are um, watching live here. Let's see, linktree.com slash Andrew McLean who. Y'all can look that up. There's the link for y'all live people. And you, you go to uh, linktree, L-A-N-K-tree.com, Andrew slash Andrew McLean, who, and it gives you a list of all the links that you need to follow over the line or follow myself. It's got Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok. Uh, the, the, um, you can actually watch from that link. You can watch the Twitch stream. It's got the YouTube, the Rumble links, all that. That's been a big battle for us is trying to figure out what link to send you guys or what link to put on social media when a new show's out or whatever. That is going to solve our problem. That's going to be a big one. So y'all save that link. And if you got people you're trying to tell the show, uh, tell about, tell them about the show, 
that's the way to do it. Y'all hook that up. I appreciate y'all. My man Cheeto Dog in the house. Uh, glad to see him as well as everybody else. I need to get into the current state of the Taliban. And before I get too far into that, let me remind you about my boys over here at Vapor Forge out on 280. Proud, proud sponsors of the show. These guys turn smokers into vapors, and literally, it is a life-changing switch. You don't believe me? Give it a shot. If you're a smoker, swap over to the vape. If you're already a vapor, you need to go here because I got everything you need at the best price possible. 4673 Highway 280 East in Birmingham. 205-874-9010 is their number. Uh, 874-9010. So hook them up, and then don't forget about Patreon.com slash Andrew McLean, who uh, that's another thing that is on that Linktree link is the Patreon, so you can click on that, and if you want to be a contributor to the show, that is the way to do it. My dad notes that he's uh, listening, but he's actually watching the UAB Jacks State Jacksonville State game. Here's the thing. Uh, y'all don't even have to listen or watch this show. If y'all just pull it up on your phone or on your computer and just let it run and let me get the numbers, I, th- I think I'll be perfectly fine with that. <laughs> just hook that up. That'd be fantastic. All right, let me get into it real quick. Uh, the Taliban. Uh, the, the same Taliban we're told by the Biden administration that we are working with, that we're relying on security for ourselves... They have been holding parades since we've been gone. Parades with our military equipment. Uh, Also been holding mock funerals for uh, U.S. and NATO military members with flag-draped coffins. That's right. Look at this video right here. Let me show you this. Let me pull this up. This is footage from Afghanistan as the Taliban hold a parade and they're carrying these, you know, made-up coffins. They're not real coffins, but they're representing coffins and they're draped in the, uh, the, the flag of England, the American flag, the NATO flag. Absolutely uh, very typical Taliban behavior. Now think about this. Y'all just think for a moment. This is the group that we're told is going to run Afghanistan and that we apparently can have some sort of partnership with, that they're willing to work with us to make sure uh, Afghanistan doesn't turn into a terrorist super state. I hate to break it to the Biden administration, but Afghanistan now is a terrorist super state. That is, in fact, true. But it's baffling to watch the administration talk about these guys as if they're just some sort of legitimate government entity 
when they are literally chanting death to America. They were doing that from the first, very first day that they joined or that they came into Afghanistan. You remember the CNN report that I played? The lady was with the Afghan with the Taliban fighters, and she goes, even though they're chanting death to America right now, they seem so friendly. <laughs> and then in the next clip, they're getting antsy with her, and she's like, oh, they just told me I had to step back because I'm a woman. I'm like, lady, you're lucky you still got that big dome of yours on your shoulders. Because Taliban normally would be in the business of lopping that thing off and not thinking twice about it. You may have gotten lucky and gotten thrown off a building instead of having your head chopped off and then decapitated. But she made it out alive. She's still doing these reports. Thankfully. I mean, I'm glad. But... It's utterly baffling to see them talk about the Taliban in the way they do, especially because we know they're getting it wrong. The way they're portraying the Taliban is is wrong on every single front. And, and what's amazing is throughout this entire thing, throughout this entire exercise of handing Afghanistan back to the people of Afghanistan, everything the Biden administration has predicted Everything they said they were going to do, every bit of it has been wrong. I cannot think of one thing that they predicted or claimed they were going to be doing that actually came to fruition. Not one. I've got a, I got a video right here. Three straight minutes of Biden and his administration making promises that they did not keep. As you saw on last night's show, Biden, during his speech, a day after we withdrew from Afghanistan, called it an overwhelming success. That's right. What we did in Afghanistan was an overwhelming success. We ended the forever war, and we did it with class and dignity, and we did it the American way, which apparently is running from terrorist with your tail tucked between your legs watch this three minutes of the biden administration making promises that they in fact did not keep the united states will not undertake a hasty or disorderly withdrawal from afghanistan we are committed to a responsible and sustainable end to this war while preventing afghanistan from becoming a safe haven for terrorist groups we seek to bring a responsible end uh, to the conflict, to remove our troops from, from harm's way, uh, and uh, to ensure that Afghanistan can never again become a haven uh, for terrorists that would threaten the United States. General Miller and General McKenzie will be able to do so in a safe, orderly, and effective way. We'll not conduct a hasty rush to the exit. We'll do it, we'll do it responsibly, deliberately, and safely. They will do it safely. They will do it orderly. And they will do it deliberately. And they will do it in lockstep with our allies. Uh, we plan to retain uh, an embassy uh, on the ground of Kabul and uh, on the ground in Kabul. We're not withdrawing. We're staying. Uh, the embassy is staying. Our programs are staying. If there is a significant deterioration uh, in security, um, that could well happen. We've discussed this uh, before. 
Um, I don't think it's going to be something that happens from a Friday to a Monday. I met with uh, the Afghan government here in, in the White House, in the Oval. I think they have the capacity to be able to sustain the government. The likelihood there's going to be the Taliban overrunning everything and owning the whole country is highly unlikely. Your own intelligence community has assessed that the Afghan government will likely collapse. That is not true. They clearly have the capacity to sustain the government in place. Do you see any parallels between this withdrawal and what happened in Vietnam with some people feeling... None whatsoever. Zero. There's going to be no circumstance where you see people being lifted off the roof of a embassy in the, of the United States from Afghanistan. It is not at all comfortable. We are not going to walk away and not sustain their ability to maintain that force. It's not a question of whether they have the capacity. They have the capacity. They have the forces. They have the equipment. Is the Taliban takeover of Afghanistan now inevitable? No, it is not. I'll insist we continue to keep the commitments we made of providing close air support, making sure that their Air Force functions and is operable. Uh, but no particular outcome, in our view, is inevitable. This is not a, a foregone conclusion, as uh, many people seem to think, um, that uh, this will be an inexorable march forward uh, for um, the Taliban. But there's no intention right now to close the embassy or to close all the diplomatic presence uh, in Kabul. We still want to be able to have that uh, in, in place. The situation in Kabul is calm right now. Everything they just stated that would not happen actually happened. From the closing of our embassy to the rescuing of people from rooftops to the Taliban taking over to the Afghan government standing their ground. All of it happened. It's so bad for the Joe Biden administration right now that even the mainstream media who is really at fault for all of this. And we can even go as far as saying, hey, some of you guys in the media, y'all got blood on your hands because you made this possible. Even they're unable to avoid what a disaster this administration is. It's outside of Afghanistan. This administration has been a absolute disaster from day one let's check in with andrea mitchell at msnbc time we saw richard Engel's story last night and again today of the taliban in the northern part of the country celebrating with a mock funeral of coffins covered with nato flags british flags and french flags and the american flag so the taliban is not you know entirely behind this their leadership is not completely in control and there's isis k and other threats there could be some extractions through either another airport or helicopter extractions from pakistan but we don't even have an agreement yet from surrounding countries the five neighbors around afghanistan to keep their borders open so it's going to be very very difficult and i think the president you know was pretty defensive about this about getting everyone out that was his promise on July 8th. You think? <laughs> you think he was a little defensive about it? So there's Andrea Mitchell at MSNBC. Let's move over to Martha Raddatz at ABC News. 
not quite as radical and conspiratorial as MSNBC, but nonetheless holding the bag for Joe Biden. Here is what they are now saying about the guy they helped get elected. The evacuation occurred because the withdrawal uh, was, they did not realize the Taliban would take over so quickly. They did not realize the Taliban would fall in 11 days, and that's why you ended up with this chaos. That's why you ended up with so many desperate people. Just on July 8th, the president was saying there's going to be no circumstance where you see people being lifted off the roof of an embassy of the United States from Afghanistan. Uh, They were clear to airplanes in those early days. Uh, He was touting the Afghan forces, saying, I trust the capacity of the Afghan military. The president said they were ready, they were prepared for this, but no one was prepared for 11 days for the Taliban to take over. Uh, The president also promising on July 8th that we can guarantee the safety of the interpreters. There are thousands of interpreters in Afghanistan right now who are desperate and frightened. Uh, And just about a month ago, he told our George Stephanopoulos that he would get all Americans out. They've gotten 90% of those out. And that 10% right now is scared and still does not know exactly how they're going to get out. You like how they uh, mention and remind you that Joe Biden guaranteed, guaranteed the safety of these interpreters. And now what? And now what? These people are just waiting to die. That's what the people in Afghanistan that should not be there right now, that is what they're waiting to do. They're waiting to die. That's their only fate. We gave the Taliban the list with the names of these people so they could then hunt them down and murder them. And what are Democrats doing? They're blaming the people in Afghanistan. That's how it's their fault. They didn't make it. They didn't make it the plane in time. And that's very dangerous rhetoric because I'm watching people online in the comments on channels like CNN or MSNBC say that exact thing. They think that the truth is that there were people just lollygagging around knowing that the Taliban was in town and overrunning the government, but they were just lollygagging around and just decided they didn't want to come. Either either they took too long and missed the plane, or they just want to stay. Completely ignoring all the facts of what we went over yesterday in the people begging for help. The people getting denied at the airport. The family of a three-year-old boy being beaten at the gates of the airport by the Taliban. But these people don't care. They hear what their beloved leaders say, what Nancy Pelosi says, what Joe Biden says, what what Millie says, what uh, all of these representatives, all these speakers, Uh, spokespeople, mouthpieces for the Biden administration, they just repeat what they say, no matter how untrue it is. I'm trying to find this article I saw earlier, and it was 
Speaking of the Sacramento students stuck in Afghanistan, you remember, um, I talked about them yesterday. The number yesterday was 24. MSNBC is now reporting 29. And I went through the comments on this one. Let me see if I can pull it up here. Um, here. <laughs> this, is, this is absolutely crazy. Uh, they should have left on their own as requested long before the situation became difficult and none should have ignored the State Department's warnings to stay out of Afghanistan, yet many flew back to the country with families knowing we were ending the war. People, what were 29 students doing in a war zone in a country embroiled in a civil war? At some point, we need to cast the blame on the choices of the parents and people putting these people in harm's way. Biden said all Americans who wanted to get out are out. If any change their mind, they will be brought out. <laughs> so many excuses here. It's one after another. They truly believe this. Mm. They think these people want to stay. Some of them think they, they wanted to stay, but they just now have changed their mind. They're like, man, eh, the Taliban's not as cool as I thought they were. I think I'm going to get out of here now. That's the twisted worldview of a large portion of society. It really is. Because I, I don't know about you guys. I can't speak for y'all, but I'm not a rocket science scientist. See? You know what I'm saying? I'm not a smart guy. I just happen to keep up with what's going on around the world on a regular basis. So I'm able to turn around and kind of break it down for y'all. But some of this stuff is so blatantly obvious and takes almost no brain power to critically think about and come to an accurate conclusion. These people refuse to do so. They lock into one perspective that's not going to report the things that go against that perspective, no matter how many times they come up. And so they never get the full story. Or they get outright lies. Even White House officials in Biden's administration are coming out and saying they're appalled and literally horrified at the actions of this senile old man. Literally. Listen to this story. A White House official said they were appalled and literally horrified by uh, that, the, that President Biden left Americans stranded in Afghanistan. An administration official told Politico that they were stunned by the president's decision to leave Americans behind as the Taliban solidifies their power in the country and repeatedly or reportedly engages in door-to-door executions. They said, I am absolutely appalled and literally horrified we left Americans there. It was a hostage rescue of thousands of Americans in the guise of a NEO, which is non-combatant evacuation operation. And we have failed that no-fail mission. Another administration official told Politico 
that they didn't consider the mission to be accomplished if Americans were abandoned in Afghanistan. The officials' concerns uh, came the same day that Biden vigorously defended his handling of the withdrawal, as we know yesterday, saying it was an overwhelming success. He said that it was the biggest, one of the biggest airlifts in history, noting more than 120,000 individuals were airlifted back to safety. Man, imagine how good life would be if you could be that naive. Like, really. If you could just go through life being that naive. Oh, that's good. That's good stuff. So my question is, for these administration officials that are appalled and absolutely horrified, why have they not resigned? They spoke to Politico under the guise of anonymity. They did not want their name out there for obvious reasons. I mean, you don't want to suffer any uh, repercussions. You don't want to get suicided by the Clintons. But if they are, in fact, that appalled and that horrified, and they are watching their bosses double down on this horrific behavior and these horrific policies, why are they still working there? I mean, if you're working in that realm, you're connected. It's not like you can't get another gig. Hey, hop over to the Republican side. I'm sure there's plenty of congressmen with an R by their name that would love to snatch up one of the other side's guys or girls. Especially when they show in an instant like this that they have a conscience. Because that's what that is. And maybe this, this administration official doesn't, uh, doesn't realize that. Doc, what is this feeling? This overwhelming feeling of guilt and shame. I've never experienced... Oh, it's your conscience. <laughs> yeah, we don't have those in the Democrat Party. Those are a big no-no because we can't uh, we can't have that. We can't get, we can't we can't get any of our objectives complete if we, in fact, have a conscience. But probably one of the biggest bombshell stories of the day, and this is big. All right. If you haven't heard this, you're about to be shocked. Are you ready? Is everybody sitting down? Y'all sitting down. Joe Biden urged the Afghan president, yes, the one that fled when the Taliban showed up, urged the Afghan president to convince the rest of the world that they had the Taliban under control. On its face, that seems fairly innocent, correct? Hey, we just want everybody to know everything's a-okay. Y'all don't need to worry about it. But that's not really what happened. What happened is Joe Biden had a call with Ashraf Ghani, the guy we had put in place to be president of Afghanistan, the Harvard Law professor whose son worked on the Pete Buttigieg campaign, We put him in place, all right? So he's nothing more than a liberal elite suck-up, as far as I'm concerned. 
He's in the establishment, if you will. He's, he's very well connected politically in this country. Joe Biden reaches out to him as he continues to get reports that the rest of the world, other countries, especially our allies, are looking towards Afghanistan and saying, man, it's not going too good there. And Joe Biden's talking about pulling the troops out. That would be an awful idea. So when Joe got that news, he's like, well, let me call my buddy Ghani over in Afghanistan and tell him, hey, why don't y'all switch some things up and at least make it look like y'all are winning against the Taliban. Let me let me just read this to you because this is this is disturbing. Biden spent part of his last phone call with Ghani stressing the importance of perception when it came to the Afghan security forces and the government's ability to prevent the Taliban from taking control of the country. A transcript of the call reportedly provided to Reuters on condition of anonymity detailed a July 23rd phone call during which Biden pressured Ghani to change perception by publicly adopting a new military strategy. Here's the quote. You ready for this? I need not tell you the perception around the world and in parts of Afghanistan, I believe, is that things are not going well in terms of the fight against the Taliban. Again, this is Joe Biden speaking. And there is a need, whether true or not, there is a need to project a different picture. Joe Biden says, I don't care if it is true that you guys are winning against the Taliban or if you're losing. All I need to worry about is I need you to make sure it at least looks like y'all are winning. Now, why would he want that? Political reasons, obviously. But ultimately, he has had an absolute hard-on for this deadline that he refuses to move, he refuses to let go, and he knew if he couldn't change that perception, it was going to be that much harder for him to stick to the deadline. So he was wanting to lie to the rest of the world and then let the cards fall where they may. This phone call gives us a little insight on really what happened and what they knew. I was thinking for a couple days now that the Biden administration and those officials were just absolutely oblivious idiots, nimrods that couldn't tell the sky from the ground. I almost said something really bad. I'm glad I stopped myself. That they were just buffoons that just didn't understand what was going to happen. But after seeing this transcript of this phone call, it's becoming painfully obvious that they knew once they pulled out that this was going to happen, that the Taliban was going to take over. At the very least, they knew the Taliban was going to take over. But what was important to them is just being able to put Joe Biden's name on the withdrawal of the troops and the end of the war in Afghanistan. I keep hearing media reports saying this was Joe Biden wanting his 9-11 moment. 
And I agree. This was all about Joe Biden being the hero that finally ended a 20-year war where so much blood has been spilt, trillions of dollars have been spent, nations have crumbled. The only mission in all of this was making sure Joe Biden could get credit. And Joe Biden is getting credit. He will always be credited with one of the biggest embarrassments in U.S. history. That's not all. Let me keep going. According to the transcript, Biden also pressured Ghani to put a warrior like their defense minister, uh, General Mohammadi, Mohammadi, I guess is his name, at the forefront offering to provide additional U.S. air support if he were to project a more competent plan to combat insurgency. He's like, this guy, this Mohammadi guy, he looks tough. You put him in charge of the military strategy, get him to go on TV, say some tough stuff, and then we'll just pretend like you guys are winning against Afghanistan. And yeah, we'll throw you a couple extra planes in there. Ghani, according to the published transcripts, pushed back against Biden, suggesting that the situation on the ground might need more than just a change in perception. He said, Mr. President, we are facing a full-scale invasion composed of Taliban, full Pakistani planning and logistical support, and at least ten to 15,000 international terrorists, predominantly Pakistanis, thrown into this so that dimensions need to be taken account of. Ghani went on to say that the Afghan security forces would be unable to maintain control control without close air support from the United States, which Biden reportedly promised to provide if Ghani was able to project a more stable situation. Biden said, we will continue to provide close air support if we know what the plan is. We are going to continue to fight hard, diplomatically, politically, economically, to make sure your government not only survives, but is sustained and grows. That's all y'all need to know. We've we've put the puzzle together. This is it. This is all it was. This whole time, it was simply about him taking credit for taking them out. And we know that the warning signs, the verbal warnings that were given to Joe Biden by not just some of his generals, but the people on the ground, the Afghan president did everything short of saying, you cannot pull these troops out. He basically said that, though. Joe Biden was told all along the way that if you do this, the Taliban's going to take over. Joe Biden's response was, well, let's just make it look like they didn't take over. That's that. That's uh that's the answer to all this. <laughs> it's absolutely unbelievable. Absolutely unbelievable. And the Taliban, and you shouldn't be surprised by this, they're actually upset. They feel betrayed by Joe Biden because a lot of the military helicopters that we left, the aircrafts 
that uh, we left them so many of. I showed you the list of of all the weapons we we left there for them, and there's a lot. There's a lot. Apparently, the military choppers are not in working condition, and the Taliban's upset. Now, why would the Taliban be upset about that? And I saw these photos, and you can see here, uh, windows are busted out. I'm sure members of the military took things apart, did whatever they could to make it non-operational. But why would the Taliban be upset? Well, because if you've been following the relationship between the Joe Biden administration and the Taliban, the Taliban has got to assume Joe Biden's on their side. So why would you not let us have these choppers? They were honestly shocked that they could not have the choppers. They don't really need them. They got plenty of other weapons that we left. I mean, we left tons of stuff. Al Jazeera reported uh, that uh, there was an Al Jazeera reporter that toured a hangar on the military side of the airport, sent in a video that the terrorist group expected the Americans to leave helicopters like this in one piece for their use. When I said to them, why do you think that the Americans would have left everything operational for you? They said, because we believed it is a national asset and we are the government now and this could have come to great use for us. Why would they not think like that? Think about that. They've been listening to our government legitimize them for days. For days now. Our government has chalked up the Taliban as nothing more than the Afghan government. And Afghanistan was was our partner for the last 20 years. So if I were the Taliban, I'd be shocked too. I'd be like, dude... We've been having such a good time. We're all on the same page. We're on the same team. Why would you break the helicopters? That doesn't mean all of them are unoperational, non-operational. But it seems a majority are. Now, as far as the tanks and the firearms and everything else, that could possibly be a different story. But nonetheless, that's where we're at. Another fascinating thing was General Mark Milley was asked today if the U.S. may coordinate with the Taliban against ISIS-K, whatever that is, if we are going to work with terrorists to fight more terrorists. And his answer? Yeah, it's possible. It's possible that we're going to team up with the Taliban to literally... Continue our war on terrorism. He said, we were working with the Taliban on a very narrow set of issues. It was just that. To get as many people as we possibly could, I would not make any leaps of logic to a broader issue. I am immensely proud of what our troops have done to this point, and it's hard to predict where this will go in the future with respect to the Taliban. In other words... We're teaming up for now. Don't know about the future, but for now, we're teaming up. And then on the other side of the, the, the State Department and the DOD, Secretary Lloyd Austin gives a speech earlier and talks about how 
we have this uh, renewed focus, this refocus on national security by focusing on China now that the war in Afghanistan's over. This is where their heads are at. <laughs> they want you to forget this. It's been that big of a disaster. Think about how hard it's going to be for them to shank this in the midterms. The longer it drags out. The smart thing to do politically, because that's all they care about, is, is the political end of this. The smartest thing would, would be for them to just say, all right, we were wrong. We're going back in. Let's get our guys. And then dip out and say, no, we're not working with the Taliban. If we find out the Taliban is doing anything that's going to harm Americans, we're going to carpet, carpet bomb the ish out of you. That would be at least a start. I don't know that that's the actual answer, but that that would be a start and be much better than what we're looking at right now. The GOP's Twitter account, I noticed, posted a, an interview or what they call a conversation with Afghanistan veterans. I'm not going to play the whole interview, but I want to use this video as a tool to portray to you guys what some of our veterans are going to. And I honestly feel like I should do an entire show on this because we got some people in this country that are really struggling because of what we're talking about, because of what this administration is doing, the failure to keep this country secure, our military members safe, the Afghans that worked with us safe, their failure to do all of that. And in the midst of it, taking a war that so many in this country bled and died for and just waving the white flag. No matter how many times they use the word success, this was not a success. This was a surrender. It was a surrender to a terrorist group that we have the capability to wipe out in 30 seconds. So can you imagine how these people feel? Some of you guys listening to the show now could be Afghanistan veterans. I know many of you are veterans. And if you fought in Afghanistan, I can't do anything but pray for peace on you because I cannot imagine what you're going through right now. Let me play this part of the interview real quick just so you guys kind of have a grasp of what's going through these guys' heads. If I could go back and talk to that 20-year-old kid who landed in Afghanistan, this is what I would tell him. I would say, thank you. Thank you for everything that you're doing because the next 20 years, you're gonna keep America safe. And everyone that served in Afghanistan, we did our part. America is that beacon of hope. I'm in a very unhealthy mix of uh, betrayal, uh, grief, and rage right now. Uh, and, and, and those feelings are understandable, but I want them to hear me loud and clear. Veterans, Gold Star families, victims of 9-11, their sacrifices were not in vain. A whole generation of Americans have grown up not worried about planes flying into buildings, not worried about suicide bombers on school buses. Uh, they've grown up in safety, uh, and that sacrifice was worth it. But if you're struggling, if you're struggling with all of this, please call somebody. 
Uh, there are hotlines out there. Use them, you're not alone. There are those coming home under flag-draped caskets, and there are those coming home with serious and grave injuries. The one thing that can never be taken away from any of them is the service that they gave. The service that they gave to those that stood shoulder to shoulder with them, their fellow Marines, those that were holding the wire, the interpreters and other SIVs that they were fighting to get out, the Americans that they were fighting to get out, they gave everything that they could because of those that they believed in and the commitment they had to their people to their left and right. That's why we do what we do in combat. And that will never fade away. Their sacrifice was not in vain. It wasn't, okay? It kept this country safe for 20 years. And it's because we've had brave people that have been willing to give their life and limb over there in Afghanistan. Thank you to all the brave men and women that served over there. And, and you know, and I want to reiterate that, you know, their service and their sacrifice was not in vain. Uh, but I also want to let them know I'm just as disgusted as they are about the way we're leaving this and the way we're getting out of there. It's absolutely horrific and embarrassing. I could probably list by name about 75 reasons why Afghanistan was personal to me. And I wear the names of a number of them on my wrist. Those are all very, very personal reasons about why what goes on in Afghanistan matters to me personally. The message to the Gold Star families, those who have lost loved ones, those who have been wounded and their families, we did our jobs. We did our jobs for 20 years. The only thing that you can say is be proud of the job that you did. This is not political. This is personal, and it's about Americans. It's personal for all those of us who have served there, and it's personal for everybody who knows somebody who has too. I wear this uh, for a Staff Sergeant Matt Pacino, uh, one of the Green Berets that I didn't bring home. Uh, I was his commander. He was my responsibility. Uh, Matt took point on every single mission that we, uh, that, that we went out on. Uh, the Taliban went old school on their tactics. Uh, they went to tripwires on their IEDs. Uh, and rather than ride in an armored vehicle, Matt went out front on a motorcycle so that he could be close to the ground and he could see the tripwires. I asked him about it one day. I said, Matt, you're pushing your luck, brother. You know, every single mission you're doing this. He said, you know what? If I miss one, I want it to get just me, not my five brothers in the vehicle behind me. That's the kind of people uh, and that's the kind of mentality uh, of, of our Green Berets and our special operators and our veterans. Uh, so I wear this every day. Uh, I put it on uh, before I step into the Capitol and I tell myself to be worthy, right? Uh, for everything we do, and every American, that's my challenge to them, is be worthy of the sacrifice uh, that allows us to breathe free air every day, and be worthy of the men and women that are out there right now keeping us all safe and free. That's just a little insight from those that are in Congress and within government. You even saw Ronnie Jackson there, who was... Um, in, in Congress in Texas who served in the military and some served in Afghanistan. And the bravery of these people 
that they've shown, that the people they served with have shown, I can't help but feel has been completely disrespected by our political elites. This is bigger than Democrats. This is bigger than Joe Biden. But these people deserve everything that we can give them. And something as simple as not making a foreign policy decision based on whether or not it's going to look good for you. Avoiding that is the least you could do. Making different decisions because it benefits you politically happens day in and day out in Washington, D.C. But not on this scale. Not on this large of a scale. Where it literally transforms the entire world and makes the region and the globe tremendously more unsafe. More unsafe than we were pre-9-11. But if we do specify Democrats in this, they continue, continue to degrade those still trapped in Afghanistan and our veterans. For instance, Democrats blocking legislation to rescue those stranded, still stranded in Afghanistan. This happened yesterday. As Republicans proposed this legislation that would have made new concerted efforts to get these people out and also account for the billions of dollars of military equipment that we left in the hands of Taliban extremists. Democrats said no. It was Representative Mike Gallagher of Wisconsin slammed House Democrats for blocking the House from passing his legislation that would have required the Biden administration to produce a plan to get stranded Americans out of Afghanistan. It was literally a piece of legislation asking the Biden administration to just show us that you're going to do something. Not even to do it. Just present us a plan. Gallagher joined a group of House Republicans in requesting this bill be passed by unanimous consent, but had his request rejected on the House floor. He said, House Democrats have had not one but two opportunities to join House Republicans in supporting legislation to hold this administration accountable and do whatever is necessary to save lives. Both times, they declined to join our efforts to do so. This is unacceptable. American lives are on the line, and we have a moral obligation to do everything we can to get them home. Congress cannot sit on the sidelines while hundreds of our fellow citizens have been left behind enemy lines. This legislation was demanding a plan from the Biden administration to bring Americans home, requesting an accounting of all the equipment left behind, requiring transparency 
on any deals or agreements made by the Biden administration with the freaking Taliban. It was going to establish a sense of Congress that the Taliban should not be recognized as the government of Afghanistan. And last but not least, prohibit any federal funding or sanctions relief to the Taliban. And watching the way these people are conducting themselves, I can't help but think that's what's next. There are senators currently urging the Treasury to continue to withhold $9 billion in assets from the Taliban. $9 billion in assets that was due to go to the Afghan government. The Afghan government is no more. It is now the Taliban. So if everything stays in place, the Taliban will receive $9 billion from us. Sound familiar to anybody? Does that sound familiar? It's exactly what happened with Iran. It's exactly what happened with Iran. Barack Obama, formerly known as the worst president in history, $1.5 billion. Joe Biden's going to say, hold my beer as I give $9 billion to the Taliban. Now that is currently in a holding pattern. But again, do not be surprised when you start seeing the headlines of this being the new policy. So in that fashion, Democrats disrespecting the work from the soldiers and really saying those Americans stuck behind enemy lines, tough, tough, we're not passing this legislation that was simply asking for the government, for the Biden administration, to stop accepting the Taliban as an official government and to come up with a freaking plan to get these people home. But that wasn't all. Nancy Pelosi, not to be outdone, literally blocked the House of Representatives from reading the names of the 13 killed U.S. service members yesterday. Representative Brian Mast, who's out of Florida, uh, said that Pelosi ignored their request, Republicans' request, to read the names of those 13 servicemen and women before the House adjourned. And in response to that, she ignored their request and closed the House down. He said, we gaveled in, had prayer, said the Pledge of Allegiance, took a moment of silence with pretty much all Republican veterans, then asked to be recognized to read the names and bring up Afghanistan legislation. They did not acknowledge us and just closed the House down. Representative Carlos Jimenez from Florida as well tweeted a rhetorical question of whether Pelosi is attempting to cover up the Afghan debacle by not allowing the names to be read publicly on the floor. He said, How badly do Nancy Pelosi and House Democrats want to cover up the Afghanistan debacle? 
They just blocked members of Congress from reading the names of the service members who sacrificed their lives in Afghanistan last week. Don't you think our military deserves better? Over and over and over again. They will continue to do this. I had so much more I was going to talk about on tonight's show, and I just, apparently, I don't have the time. But we'll be back with a brand new show this Friday. It's going to be Friday Night Live, so I hope you'll join us right here on Twitch. The The, the uh, objective, I guess, the mission I need you guys to accomplish for me and for the show, for us, really, because we're all family, I need you guys to get us 24 more followers here on Twitch. If you talk to anybody, you post it on your social media, whatever, just say, hey, everybody, if you can do me a solid, go to twitch.tv and look up OTL show and give that guy a follow. You don't have to have intentions of watching his show, listening to him or anything like that. Just go follow him and give him a chance. And if he turns out he's hurt your feelings that much, you can then unfollow him. But you guys, and I know you can, I've watched, I'll do it time and time again. Please help us get to that 50 follower mark on this account so we can start building this up and we can continue to do these shows live uh, every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. Honestly, I really like this format. I think as we go along, it'll be more fluid and I can interact with you guys more uh, like Cheeto Dog and, and, and Diddy Go Vols and everybody else. And even the, the trolls that come up in here and start talking smack about the show. We'll start doing some more interactive stuff as we go and kind of get the hang of this. But I'm excited. I'm excited about the direction we're headed with this show. And I appreciate y'all's support. I appreciate the support of Vaporforge, everybody that's involved with Patreon, and everything else. Don't forget that linktree.com slash Andrew McLean Who. That is the best way to get the word out about the show. That gives you the link for each and every site that we are on. And you can go find the show whenever you want, however you want. So, again, thank y'all so much. Y'all keep uh, in your, your hearts, in your prayers, the troops, especially the veterans, and what they're going through right now. That's really what I wanted to highlight tonight. Just keep those guys in your thoughts and prayers because they're going through more, I think, right now. And again, it's outside looking in, civilian here, assuming. But I got to assume that they're going through an awful lot right now and they need our support. If you know veterans, especially those that served in Afghanistan, just reach out to them. Say, hey, man, how you doing? Just want to check on you. Ask them if they want to go have a beer, have some coffee. Just chit-chat. Make sure they know that they're loved, they're appreciated, and their service was not in vain whatsoever because we do support those guys. All right, that's it. Until next time, see you, cuz!